0: Now, after World War I ended, Germany was stripped of all power. No military, their economy was ruined, and there was no love for their leaders who were defeated. Now, before World War II started, Adolf Hitler used the, the Nazi party to rise to power in Germ- Germany. And he brought hope to the people of a strong Germany a Germany that would reclaim its stature in the world. And many Germans bought into this nationalism. And under Hitler's leadership, they saw rapid economic recovery and the repeal of many restrictions imposed on Germany after World War I. And they gave their allegiance to the seemingly great leader. But under it all was a desire of selfishness and evil. And this desire led to a second world war, execution of anyone opposed to the dictatorship and the genocide of millions of Jews, Russians, gypsies, and others. How important it is to know the character and direction of your leader and why you follow them. Now Christ, who is our leader, our king, our Lord, our God, with him, we need to know why we Follow him, why we obey him. See, he is love. He is righteous. He brings justice. He loves mercy. He shows kindness. He gives salvation. He restores. He sanctifies. He brings unity because he is able. We're going to look at Christ to see his love. And glory, so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's read. Verse 17b here. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Remember that these verses are a continuation of Paul's prayer for us to understand that God's reconciling love is the power given us through the Spirit, and that this power brings the church into unity, giving God glory. And today, we're going to look at uh, how God's Spirit empowers us to dwell together in sacrificial love with him and his people. God's Spirit empowers us to dwell together in sacrificial love with him and his people. In order to do that, first Paul prays that the church may know the love of Christ, that the church may know the love of Christ. You know, it's it's obvious where we need to start in order to grasp the love of Christ. It's the gospel, the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You may have heard that verse. I could stop there, but that would not be the fullness of the gospel. It is important, but only a partial picture of the love of Christ. First, let's think about the reason God gave His only Son. In the beginning, God created everything the universe, the solar system, the sun, earth, the plants, animals, and His image, people. And Adam and Eve were put into paradise. And they had purpose because God gave Eden for them to work the garden there and to keep it. Then the fall. Tempted by the serpent, Eve eats the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and Eve gives it to Adam to eat, and he eats it. And the one thing God said not to do, they did. You had one job, right? One job. And they blew it. The rebellion of man against God began. That original sin has existed in every human, in each of us. Not a single one of us can stop the cycle of rebellion. We should have been damned and destroyed. Now, let's go to Romans 3 here. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as I just stated before, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who, whom put God forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness, because in this divine forbearance he, has, he had passed over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we sinned against God with nothing to offer in recompense to him. Now, then something abnormal happened, as we see in Romans 3 here. God gave his son to pay the price on our heads, to justify us, to take the wrong and make it right? See, God had every right in his holiness to obliterate you, but didn't. Instead, he dies for our sins, then raises from the dead, claiming victory over sin and death, and he reaches out to you who are perishing and says, I forgive you. Will you follow me? This kind of love is not normal in any relationship that we know, let alone with the holy, righteous God. No, it's contrary to relationship because it's contra-conditional love. He graciously offers forgiveness and restored relationship with him. And it goes against what we would say is justice. See, if a man murdered someone, you would most likely say death penalty. Yet Paul in Romans 3 is saying that God is just because of his sacrifice on our behalf. That's not the same justice we would give. Now also, he is the justifier of our faith. Faith is our trust and allegiance to God. He justifies us by the work of the cross alone, by his grace alone. And without God or his resurrection to enact the work of the cross as the way to eternal life we could not have faith. We wouldn't have faith. I can say this because of the verse after John 3:16. 3:19 it says and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, we would have stayed in our darkness because we are selfish and think we know better. And even with Christ's work on the cross there are still those that stay in the darkness, which has consequences. As John 3.36 makes clear, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The gospel is more than simply the point of justification. It is the restart of the eternal relationship we are to have with this gracious God. Out of the overflow of that restart, by the power of the Spirit, you lose your old life, but gain a new life, a new identity, a new purpose. And if you find yourself continuing in your darkness, this means you actually don't want the light that you don't want God, that you're not saved. Therefore, you're still in rebellion. Receiving the gospel reckons your old self dead, and Christ gives you a new life, a new identity, a new citizenship, and a new purpose. The gospel received means the Spirit dwells in you and is transforming you to see the darkness for what it is and your need for God's love. See, the gospel received makes known to you the love God has for you to know its breadth, length, and height, and depth. The gospel received strengthens you in God's command to love him and each other. The gospel received empowers you to walk in unity with God and his church by his spirit. The gospel received grounds you to live for God's glory and not your own glory. Praise God for the gospel of Christ. May it be the foundation of knowing the love of Christ in our inner being to further understand the love of Christ. It also needs to come from the word. And God had uh, the Spirit inspire men to write down all kinds of letters and books, poetry and prophecy to understand and follow his will, his heart. This is the Bible. And from hearing the word, our faith in Christ is built up. As Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God has to be the one to explain his love to us. He chose to utilize the Bible as one of the avenues to practically carry this out. And it's more than just a a love letter. It's an inspiration to love as he loved. In 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So let that sink in, that he is love. Therefore, he defines what love is. Let's look at a verse that will help us understand God's definition of love. Hans read this earlier. 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to look at verses 4 through 8. It says, Love is patient and kind. Notice with me that love doesn't promote selfishness. It promotes selfless support to each other. And as you read this, do you think that this describes the love of Christ? The love that he has towards you? Of course. Now, does this describe your love for Christ? Hmm. you might be thinking this is a little bit of a tall order on me and I don't measure up based on this definition of love. And you're right, you don't measure up. But I'm not asking you to measure up. I'm asking, do you love Christ because he loves you? And this verse is, interestingly placed in 1 Corinthians. So in the preceding chapter, Paul touches on spiritual gifts and the church being described as a, a body with many members. And he ends the chapter with, and I will still show you a more excellent way, speaking of the love. And it matters a great deal what part you play in the body. But if you don't have love at the core, then the body no longer reflects Jesus. See, so we need to... We need love to be at the core of anything you or I do so that we reflect Jesus. And then at the end of chapter 13, it says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you as an elder, as your elder, is that you know the love of Christ that you know it by the Spirit and His Word, so that when you come against the hard things in life, and you will, you can be secure in Him. Let me encourage you with this verse. Romans 8, 38. For I am Sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't it awesome that he has given us the gift of himself and the gift of each other? And that is why I love fellowshipping with you all that we can come together because no one is greater than Christ. And we are free to show our love to him and to each other. And even when we are singing songs of worship, uh, the love of Christ is overflowing out of our hearts to each other. Look at... uh, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Christ rules and dwells in our heart, our inner being, and his love is experienced through the tangible love of each other. And last week we looked at John 14, where the Spirit empowered us with reconciling love. Now I want to expound upon how John continues that thought into John 15. Turn with me to John 15. John 15 verses 1 through 13 it says, "I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. My words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Here we see Christ describing his love, that his love is going to have a tangible effect. And first we need to be connected to the vine, that is Christ. And then we as the branches will bear fruit. The fruit couldn't exist without abiding in the vine. So what is fruit? Well, it's, it's love. It's living out the gospel in our lives in the midst of this broken world. And here is where we still can get into trouble, though. A lot of us take these verses and think, I need to obey in order to be loved by God. We continue this thought that God isn't going to let you abide in him unless you get your act together. And I want to correct this. Because Christ is saying, abide in me, then obedience will come. He even says that we can't do anything apart from him. If that is the case, then you can never abide in Christ by your efforts. He attaches to himself, attaches us to himself, the vine, because he loves us first. Then obedience comes, and then our, our love for him grows, and our love for one another grows. And this growth is not by our attachment to Christ, or it's not only by our attachment to Christ, the uh, vine, but is also cultivated by the vine dresser, God the Father, who prunes the branches. For what purpose? So that we, the branches, bear more fruit. And the fruit in our lives is his tangible love. See, the tangible love of Christ is also known in our love for each other. Let's look at Galatians 6 here. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ you've probably heard the phrase i'm not my brother's keeper that's actually what cain said to god when confronted about killing his brother See, for the love of Christ to be tangibly known, we are to be our brother's and sister's keeper. And this verse in Galatians speaks to this. We don't just get to enjoy the good times, we also endure through the burdensome times of each other. And as we discussed last week, to work through the conflict in order to maintain unity for God's glory. Now be honest, it would be much more comfortable for us to mind our own business. It would be. To never get in each other's muck. To remain unknown and left in our darkness. But Christ's love didn't leave us in the muck. And the only way I see we will stick it out in the ugly hard times is because of the love Christ has for us. Therefore, Christ's love compels us. So He will get us through these times by the love that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And this brings us to my second point. Back in Ephesians, Paul prays not only that the church may know the love of Christ, but also that the church may experience his love through one another. The church may experience his love through one another. So back in Ephesians, read with me there in chapter 3, verse 19. The tangible love of Christ is known. Sorry, I missed it right there. Okay. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the tangible love of Christ is known internally by the Spirit-dwelling Individually in each of us. But the love of Christ is also known in its fullness through his people. And in this way, Christ's love brings about a fulfilled life in its fullness through his people. Another way to put it is that we have a complete life. And back in Ephesians 22, chapter 1, verse 22, uh, he put. All things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So without Christ, we wouldn't know love as intended by God. We would be left to our selfishness to define love. But Christ did reveal his love to us through the gospel. He is the head over the church. But notice that Christ attaches himself closely. To the church. He calls it his body. The body then experiences the fullness, the completeness of functioning love. And our body wouldn't function well without our head, our brain, right? If you didn't have your head, where are you going to be? <laughs> See, we would be dead, unable to do anything. See, Christ brings us function, he breathes life into the body. His way of love moves throughout the body, and we are given purpose and function to serve the body as Christ compels us. And Christ has fashioned the church to be his body, and we are each members of it. We each receive the life-giving blood of Christ and begin functioning as he has designed us to. And this creates a completeness of life. As Christ fills what was empty, void, we receive and know his love and then are able to love him and each other. Remember what we read in John 15. Christ commands us to love one another as he has loved us. And this command answers the what we do and why we do it. Because Christ first loved us and had has empowered us to obey His command by His spirit. Now you might be thinking, "But Pat, maybe I, don't, I just want Christ to myself, because everyone else, they're going to fail or hurt me. And you know what? Love between us is going to be at times painful and awkward. Yet at times, it's going to be beautiful. Comforting and remind us of the love of Christ. And we need to work through that together. See, His love leads us to experience the completeness of receiving love and giving love. And this will glorify God because only He can take selfish people and transform them to love sacrificially. So, how do we love sacrificially? I'm glad you asked. Let's turn to <laughs> Romans 3. Nope. We missed the we missed chapter on that slide. Sorry. Romans 12, verses 3. <laughs> How about we do that? Romans 12. Sorry about that. Romans 12. <clears throat> Starting there in verse 3. It says... having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Notice that we are not all to function the same within the body. Each of us is gifted differently. Now, some of us are similar in that gifting, but even our personality and life experience creates a difference within that same gifting. And I'm not going to spend time looking at the gifts listed here, but I have a task to encourage you in. Take time this week To look at the gifts of your brothers and sisters. And whatever you notice, go up to them and tell them what you see and why you appreciate them. I hope you guys took that note, noted that down. I want you to look at each other's gifts and go to them, tell them what you see and why you appreciate them. Here's what I've noticed in my years in the church. Some people's gifts are more noticed than others, like the one who teaches on a Sunday. And that's then lifted up as the real gift. And we tend to think less of the gifts that are not in the spotlight. So that's why I encourage you, go tell your brothers and sisters what they're gifted in. Also, I've noticed that we aren't comfortable talking about what we are gifted in. So we have a a misunderstanding of humility and think that if I'm good at anything, then I'm prideful and pride is bad. But to God, humility is thinking of yourself rightly. And if you have an ability that can be used to show love to others, acknowledge it, grow in it, give God glory by it. Do you realize that when you show empathy, when you make a meal, when you share the gospel, when you are generous with these gifts, you give God glory? And where where pride comes in, that means you're using your gifting for selfish gain. So think rightly of yourself. Use your gift to glorify God by loving his people. Now remember, the motivation behind our gift and our ability to love each other is grounded and rooted in the love of Christ, as Ephesians, Paul's prayer in Ephesians stated. And that God's Spirit is empowering us to dwell together in sacrificial love. We're going to continue in Romans 12 here. We're going to look at verses 9 through 18. Says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. How do we do all this? (laughs) We need the love of Christ to compel us by his Spirit. And that's why Paul is praying that they would know the love of Christ and experience it by his people. And as we know Christ's love we grow in our commitment to him. As we know Christ's love, we become driven to obey him, to love as he loves. And as we know Christ's love, we become genuine in our love for one another. And from that genuine love, we become more committed to others, even our enemies, to sacrificially love as Christ did for us. And then we are able to become transparent, confessing our sins to each other, allowing our inner being to be vulnerable and less driven by fear and pride. Do you know the love Christ has for you? Are you seeing transformation because of his love for you? Are you committed to this mission of God's church to proclaim the gospel by our love for one another? Remember in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, You may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth of. In length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, we are all in need of the love Christ has for us. We are in process of sanctification, needing the Spirit of God to empower us to love in obedience to Christ. And this leads us to dwell together in love with Him and His people. Now, this is hard. This is hard. But God is able to do according to his power that he works within us by his spirit. If we can commit to this, then our love in the church will give God glory. Our love in the church will give God glory. Let's read in Ephesians 3 verses 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you remember from last week, God receives glory because he has taken those that were his enemies and made them friends, not just friends but family and it's a family that is growing in love, being led by the Spirit to be in unity and in this people God will dwell because God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think and we in leadership are seeing God do these things in you We have heard of testimonies of those that were against God and became friends of God. We have heard of very broken family backgrounds and God bringing healing through the new family of the church. We have seen conflict be resolved because the love of Christ compelled you. And we are seeing you grow in love and using your gifting to serve each other. Now, there's still a lot of room to grow. But what I see is the trend leading us to glorify God. This power is at work within us. It is at work within us. So to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul gives us a glimpse of what God's glory is going to do. So back in, the, in Ephesians 3.10, it says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, every authority, especially those that have rebelled against God, the angels fallen, will see the church displaying glory to God. They will see how wise God is to take enemies that have never seen him and make them a united family, a dwelling place that God wants to live in. And this isn't just displayed to the angels, but also to the world who has rejected the gospel of Christ. See, the display has already begun with you. And as followers of Christ, we are commanded to go and make disciples of all nations. We are to show people what we know the love of Christ is. So let me challenge us. What does your evangelism for Christ look like? What does your evangelism for Christ look like? I'm not talking about getting on the soapbox and preaching it on the steps of the state capitol building. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are the interactions you can constantly have with people. It could be people at your work, you know, the barista, the grocery lady, maybe friends from your old life, extended family, siblings, parents, your kids, other people's kids. And I want, to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself, do they trust you? Do they know you're a Christian? Have you showed them care either in practical needs or showing empathy in their sorrow? Are they willing to have a conversation with you? Is there a way they can see you interact with other people from church, such as inviting non-believers and believers into your house so that they can all experience the love of Christ? Now, not all of us are gifted evangelists, but it's not a call on those gifted with their words It's on all of us. The church. See, we are a better witness together. Just look at how God is to be glorified. It's by our unity that he is orchestrating. Our witness is stronger in how we operate with each other. It gives tangibility to the love of Christ that we profess with our words. Before we we finish... I also want us to see a glimpse of what we will be in Christ. So the apostle John was imprisoned, boiled alive, and yet survived. They didn't know what to do with him. I wouldn't know what to do with a guy like that. (laughs) So they stuck him on an island called Patmos. And while in isolation, he was shown the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he wrote it down. And there... This letter has lots of imagery of the last days, but it also glimpses gives gives, gives a glimpse of the church united with Christ. Turn with me to Revelation twenty one. Revelation twenty one nine through ten. That's where we're going to start. says, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, the lamb being Jesus. And who's the bride? The church. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page there. God then starts to describe the city after these verses. But remember, he said it was the wife of the lamb, that I will show you. So let's, let's jump down past these descriptive verses of the city, um, which is the bride. Go to verse 22. We're going to go to 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. So what we see here is the wife of the Lamb, adorned in God's majesty, though it's described as a city, dwelling together with God in unity. See, it's it's open, it's transparent. There is peace because the gates never shut. There's no crime against each other. The people are submitted to the authority of Christ and his law of love. Turn to Revelation 22, verses 10 through 13. And he said to me, do not uh, seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, this is... Jesus talking, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So an angel, in essence, tells John, Endure. Endure. Keep following Christ because Christ is, Has said, I am coming soon to set things right. I am coming soon to set things right. Brothers and sisters, let's continue to endure the race set before us, to continue in the transformation from old to new by God's Spirit and His love. See, His love will reign supreme one day. Until then, let's continue to grow toward that day of glory. And as your elder, I pray for you that you know the love of Christ. As it was shown in the gospel, in his word, and through the tangible love of each other. I want you to know that. And just as Paul prayed for the church, and I pray for you, I want to give you an application this week. I want you to pray for each other and pray for wisdom on how you can show his love to one another. So pray for each other. Pray for wisdom on how you can show his love to one another. So let's use our gifts to build each other up be sacrificially love one another because we are compelled by the love of Christ we are led by the spirit to love each other and become unified creating the place in which god dwells and all this brings god glory one day all of us who are in the Lamb's book of life, will dwell together in peace, worshiping Christ our Lord, and we will look back at how God's Spirit empowered us to dwell together in sacrificial love with him and his people, how he will continue that into eternity.